0: I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketer with 20 years experience across the UK, the United States and Asia Pacific. Last year I was fortunate to spend three months with Deloitte in Chicago and during that time I was delighted to have the opportunity to spend time with a number of global experts. Throughout that period I interviewed a range of leaders and shared their thought-provoking, relevant and influential takeaways weekly. Now that I'm back in Melbourne, the Katie Talks with Influencers continues, although in fact today I'm in Brisbane. And today we are talking storytelling. And in an era when content is often moving more towards being, moving away from large doorstopper, 80 page documents and moving more to content that is small, bite-sized, snackable, easy to consume, I couldn't think of a better person to have this conversation with than my fabulous colleague, Neil Glazer. Neil is the head of editorial at Deloitte. He is also a well-known industry speaker on all things content, writing, and strategy. Neil and I have worked together quite closely over the last four years at Deloitte. And to be perfectly honest, in this camp, I consider Neil to be a bit of an oracle. Neil, welcome. Great to talk to you today.
1: Thank you so much, Katie, for having me on your wonderful local and global podcast.
0: (laughs) Three cities mentioned there. (laughs) Um, Neil, perhaps you can, I'd love it if you could just tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we get underway. Um, But before I do, I am all about acknowledging the diversity of wonderful teams and the way that the best work happens is, you know, working with diverse teams. And as I was preparing to go to the US to start this podcast series, Neil was absolutely pivotal in w- helping me to brainstorm the approach that I'd take, the questions, and the, the philosophy that surrounded Katie Talk. So um, it, it's terribly fitting that you are a guest.
1: Thank you, Katie. It's been great to hear all of your insights across all the podcasts. And look, I think it's always interesting people's journeys throughout their career, and I guess a very quick, short, sharp, and succinct snapshot of mine would be that I've always loved words, I've always loved storytelling, I've always loved being able to connect issues and themes together, so I headed down the track of doing a combined law degree, Um, so I did a law degree with a communications degree, and that was really fascinating for me because it meant that I explored so many different business-related topics and then also in the line of communications, that whole element of publishing, journalism, writing, content, strategy, and media. So headed down the track of um, working as a lawyer um, in the early part of my career, which again was fantastic, all those challenges and working out complex problems and solutions. And I think I started to head in the area of writing in the sense of that I was still working with ideas across so many different areas. So Um, The bulk of my career has been around content, copywriting, publishing, media, communications and storytelling and I think it's just really interesting that now more than ever businesses are really hungry for that in terms of being able to cut through what we're bombarded with um, across the globe which is so much content and so many messages uh, to consume.
0: Thanks, Neil. that That's really interesting. And I think, you know, if I think about the, the last four or so years that you and I have worked together, the work that we have done and our approach has, has really evolved and I think is, is much more sophisticated or, or, well, yeah, that's a fine word, much more sophisticated than it was when we first started. Why is writing so important across the business landscape?
1: Look, it's really interesting, Katie. I think that I often tell people that there's this writer, um, Josh Bernoff, who writes various business writing books. And he has a great quote that bad writing costs businesses $400 billion every year. And it's interesting because if we do think about it, that the time spent of people sifting through reams of materials to find out what it means and the overall inefficiency can cost billions when the time spent could rather be focused on next steps, strategy, or how really to amplify content. So I really think that now more than ever... Businesses and different organisations at all levels are looking for content that cuts through, and that's why writing is so important. And the other point that I will mention is that if, if we take a look at what happens in 2019 in one internet minute, so 60 seconds, if you Google out there, you'll come across a range of infographics around this, but the enormous amount of content that's being consumed Means that we are living in an age where we really have to focus our attention, as I mentioned earlier, on being short, on being sharp, on being succinct.
0: That's really interesting, Neil. I was going to ask you why that evolution has happened, but I haven't heard a figure put on that. That is, that's fascinating. Look,
1: it's really interesting. I think that it's always helpful to quantify things. And I think that I find it's very useful to try and use numbers or case studies or those elements within storytelling to really paint that powerful picture of why something is so important. Mm
0: -hmm. So, Neil, what are some of your biggest tips for listeners out there around how to create cut-through content?
1: So the first thing I will say to people, the biggest tip I'd give them is make every word count. Now, it might sound quite simple, but I think that often people have this compulsion to really create extremely lengthy pieces of content. Now, there is a time and a place for that, but I think making every word count is so critical. And in order to bring that to life for people, I'm always reminded of a great story by Ernest Hemingway, one mm-hmm. of our fabulous writers um, that we've had. And he, his friends place a bet on him, on who could write the most powerful and engaging story. And this really brings to life the concept of making every word count. Yeah. And the challenge was: can you write a really compelling story in six words? Six words. Six words. You're only allowed six words oh, to create a really interesting, <laughs> cut-through, striking story. And the and the story goes that. Um, They all sat in the bar, and Ernest Hemingway, if if you Google the story, you'll find different examples of it, Um, he was a clear winner, and he wrote a story in six words that has become quite iconic, and there's been different permutations of it, and what he wrote down was, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And in those six words, instantly you're brought into a story and a, and a topic about what, what happened to the baby. Is it a tale of hope? Is it a tale of despair? There, there are many possibilities. Mm. But in those six words, he was able to create a story that really pulls in the reader. Um, now, there have been a lot of different takes on on that six-word story, and there's also been a lot of different permutations that people have written about. But it's I often think of it as a great example in terms of... Um, why making every word count is so critical, and that that one can do it, sure. and that it's really interesting to be able to craft language, especially when we read and consume so much on our different devices. Mm. Um, one way to cut through is make every word count.
0: That that's an excellent point, and you know it makes me. Uh, well, there are two things that come up there for me. You know, your your brief reference to reading on devices and i think that's a very one very obvious reason why we are focusing much more these days on sort of content that's small bite-sized snackable because people are tending to read it much more on their devices perhaps while commuting or doing something else as distinct from sitting at a desktop Um, but but the other element there sort of makes me think about the process that we've gone through over the years when when you and i will sit down and, and sort of first think about a flagship piece of eminence that we're looking to publish you know perhaps nine months down the track and in our very first meeting with with key stakeholders and you know we have our overarching strategy that discussion right up front as to how to approach it and yes we have clear distinctions as to what we want our messaging to be but I'd say almost of equal importance is what sort of structure and style and you know we might have one report but what are the other pieces of content that will come and sort of help to create that rich story and and I think that's been a quite an evolution that that or a bit of a journey dare I say it that we've gone on on that front.
1: Yes 100%. Mm-hmm. I think I think you know I think it's always a challenge of um, making sure that offer there's so much that people can say so really thinking through choosing what is the right message who is the audience? How can we structure it? That's what's going to create cut-through yep. results. Sure,
0: and what we want the outcome to be. Yeah, absolutely. Neil, any other tips you'd like to share?
1: So I think that another key tip that I that I love to talk about is really have a point of view. I think that there's nothing worse than reading content or thought leadership that meanders. Okay. So I think I think it's really important to have a point of view. And I was I was thinking through what would be the best example around ideas around having a point of view and I think I'm reminded of a trip that I did recently to New York um like late last year and I popped to a wonderful exhibition in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. which was all about the artist MC Escher okay now some people out there on the podcast might know M.C. Escher or be familiar with his work. He does the most incredible sketches and drawings all about seeing things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So his work is really about having a point of view. And there, there's a great quote that uh, I saw at the front of the exhibition in Brooklyn uh, when I walked in, which a quote by M.C. Escher that says, "'Only those who attempt the absurd will achieve the impossible.'" And his entire body of work that was displayed there is all about this. It's all about having a point of view, (laughs) having a different perspective. And I think that the part that I loved about the uh, exhibition in Brooklyn was that it was a completely immersive experience. So you could not only see his uh, original sketches throughout the exhibition mm-hmm. and and see them and kind of walk past them. But then there was some of his artwork that was really brought to life in a 3D, 4D dimension. So you yeah. could actually become part of the artwork and become part of the perspective and then take some photos around that. Mm-hmm. So I always think um, that it's really important with content, with storytelling, with writing, with publishing, with media, is what's your point of view? yes. And what is the argument and the compelling hook that you're really going to entice people with in order to keep on reading? Mm-hmm. You know I think that often uh, as we all are, very time poor and, and and there's a lot going on in people's lives, if you can at least hook them in at that start, yes, with a really interesting, compelling idea. Yeah. and so there's there's one amazing sketch. Uh, that um, people might be familiar of which is a hand drawing a hand which if, if you kind of Google that um, people can see that it's, it's such a great iconic image of MC Escher's, and it really brings to life perspective okay. and seeing things from a different angle. So I think it shows that you know, one can create anything with words but to have a point of view and make content interesting yes. is what it's all about.
0: Neil, what would you say is the most overlooked element of writing by organisations and businesses?
1: So I think that one of the biggest things, and we have kind of hinted at it slightly before, is really structure, structure, structure. (laughs) So I think it's absolutely vital, no matter if you're writing a short email, right through to a social media tweet, or even a long-form 100-page report or video script, you know, the start, the middle and the end is, is absolutely critical. Now, within storytelling, there's a range of elements and structures people can use. So there's another system called Save the Cat, which is often used in film development and narrative, which is around a 15 beats system. So there's 15 points to a story that are really critical around turning points, around milestones, around twists in the plot. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But I often favour the three act structure, okay. which is really part one, part two, part three, beginning, middle, and end, yeah. um, which I think can really apply to everything. So, as I mentioned, no matter if it's a short piece of content or a long piece of content, even down to the perfect tweet, really thinking through, you know, what that structure looked like. Um, are you making the job of the reader easier? Okay. And I think that there's a great quote out there. That I've read, which is treat the reader's time as more valuable than your own. So put in the time, put in the effort to make sure that whatever content you're preparing is really engaging around that start, middle, and finish.
0: I I think that treat the reader's time as more important than your own is is pretty delightful, and I and I reckon if you if you are starting out, you're you're planning any piece with that in mind. I reckon that's going to fairly heavily influence where, where you end up arriving.
1: And I think it was really helpful that often I say to people you don't have to get the first draft perfectly polished. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes people people's frustration with their own writing and storytelling and content comes from this perception that when they write the first draft, it's going to be crystal clear, mm-hmm. perfectly polished. And it really isn't. Yes. I think the whole thing is writing is rewriting. Yeah. And I think that that's often the, the, the part that I enjoy the most, which is the editing, the rewriting, the crafting, the polishing, etc. So I think it's just out there for people to know that um, things that they might read, they're often seeing the end product of something. Sure. And there might be countless drafts, iterations, workshops, etc. So... Often, when people are thinking about the start, middle, and finish, um, it might bring to you know, it might highlight for them that actually there's there's a part in the middle that isn't quite working, or they haven't really got that hook at the start. So it's really helpful just to do a first draft get it all out on the page, the different ideas. And these techniques apply to all forms of writing, whether it's script writing, whether it's emails, whether it's film writing and development, whether it's animation, video scripts, fiction, non-fiction, creative, business. Um, I think that structure can help um, and often it can really point to what are the areas that, that you really need to focus on in that second, third, fourth draft.
0: Sure. I think both in terms of the getting it down on paper or screen, that structure helps. But one, I mean, I I smiled when you were saying that for a couple of reasons. I mean, one of the things that I find incredibly valuable if I'm writing something myself is to write it, get it all down on paper and dependent on what sort of content it is and obviously time frames is to leave it for two or three days and then come back and I can be so much more objective Mm. you know I I am somebody who likes to talk and dare I say it perhaps even slightly verbose Uh, and I will often have people you know yourself included read read something I've written and say you know you've got three sentences there I think that can probably be condensed to one so a bit of perspective from my side when I'm writing something myself helps but I also smiled when you talked about the fact that you really enjoy the reviewing editing and polishing because that's one thing I've really appreciated working with you is and that I find hard if I've written something really lengthy that continually going back and polishing and improving sometimes towards the end can feel quite tedious and I lose the ability to be objective about a piece that I'm really familiar with is that I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that because that, that, that strikes me as a real skill that you have also on that front.
1: Sure. Look, I guess just to also touch on your point, Katie, which I love around putting something away for a day or two mm. and then coming back to it. I think that that's such a critical element that often you know people are quite time poor. But if one can do it, I yes. think it's great to be able to just put that piece away, pick it up two or three days later, and then you come with it with fresh eyes and mm. just so objective. So, but on on your point and your question around that process of editing and rewriting and workshopping. I think that why I love that process is, is because there is often so much rich content to work with. And mm-hmm. I think that um, often it is always easier to be able to pare back, edit, refine rather than look at a blank page. And so I sure. think that, I think that I love obviously writing things from scratch. Uh, But I also love working with stakeholders like yourself and teams and business leaders and organizations to really be able to distill and refine that message. Because I think at the end of the day, often we all have such rich and fantastic and a tapestry of insights to talk about. Mm. But at the end of the day, to be able to cut through and be able to distill that message really clearly in a crisp format, almost as if... You were in a lift with someone and had a 30 second elevator pitch Uh to be able to say why your topic or why your point of view is so important. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for across all content that I workshop and edit.
0: Interesting. Uh, That reminds me of that old adage you know, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a four page one. Uh, You know, that that really resonates (laughs) with me. (laughs) Neil, these days businesses of all sizes are looking to reach a range of audiences and that's something you and I have talked a lot about over the years. What are your insights and tips around that?
1: Sure so I think I think it's really interesting audience because I think sometimes as writers and and this applies to anyone who, who's a writer because I, I think that we're all writers and I think that you know it doesn't have to be, the focus of your day job i think that every element these days involves storytelling and so i think audience is really important and i think that sometimes we all do get very self-focused on on you know kind of what what we're writing and what we want to say versus how that's going to resonate with the people that we want to read it okay. so i'm always reminded of um you know one of my favourite books by Harper Lee, which is *To Kill a Mockingbird*, uh, yeah. and and there's just a really fantastic quote there by Atticus Finch, um, one of the lead characters, who says that you never really know a person until you stand in their shoes and walk around in yeah. them. And so I think that when it comes to audience, you really have to spend time knowing who your audience is. You know, have you have you reached out to them? Have you have you gone out to a focus group have you actually met up with the people that you're aiming your content for and have you asked them what are their pain points Mm -hmm. around content or reading things what are they really looking for so i think that when when we're thinking about audience i think that you know a couple of key really important questions to ask is you know is is my reader in-house or external uh will my reader know anything about the topic in terms yes. of where to kind of structure that that language around, how technical you should get, asking yourselves what what will get their attention. Mm-hmm. So, are there people who are very time poor? Is it is it the uh, format of the content that you should be thinking about? You know, should it be an animation? Should it be an explainer video? Should it be a written piece? Should it be a social media message? Sure. Should it be an email? Should it be a great headline? So, uh, thinking through what do I want them to do? Mm-hmm. What is the Biggest call to action that you're asking them to do when you when you're yeah. creating your content and piece, uh, and then really, how can you or how can I cut through to be able to reach them, okay. and and often by spending time with your audience. So you know reaching out to people within your network whether that's C suite or leaders right through to different business owners across the small medium and large enterprises mm-hmm. reaching out to different sectors and different demographics to see what is really going to resonate with them yeah. from a content perspective i think is is really vital and also enables one to gain a lot of really holistic great powerful insights mm-hmm. that can then really shape your contents so that you're really targeting that specific audience and that you know those people are going to be connecting with your content
0: Mm, you make some really useful points there neil so building on that a little bit what's the secret sauce for you what what has worked the most for you so tips 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 give us another
1: so i think that you know one other biggest tip that i will give is read your work Out loud. Now, I think it's really interesting because people often think, you know, writing might be very solitary, you know, sometimes siloed, you know, sitting there thinking at your desk. And I think that a really critical thing is is that we're all human. We're not robots. Mm -hmm. And in order to connect with people with your content, read your work out loud. It might be to yourself. It might be to a colleague. It might be to someone over the phone. It might be external I think that it really highlights where there might be errors in your work and where the things are going to resonate um, or whether you need to change up the, the structure or the language. So, for example, you know, people might have written something such as if, if, if you're kind of working through a website and you're hoping that people might log into something, yeah. one might have written, you know, you must log in before you may access this information. Now, a better way of saying that is log in to see your reports so I think that sometimes you know rather than this kind of robotic stodgy you must log in before you access this information I think it's just coming back to basics and going how do we talk as humans how do we talk as people Mm -hmm. and trying to break that down in a way that, that that is really conversational it can still be business and professional but is more conversational and far more empathetic okay. and helps us sound like people. So,
0: so is that, are, are we talking here about being a little less formal than perhaps we might have been in the past?
1: Yes. And look, I think, I think it's interesting because I think that um, being formal does have its time and place. Sure. So I think that, you know, when there are elements that people are drafting content, whether it's, you know, very robust research around thought leadership insights or whether it's a particular paper or a particular topic. Mm. But I do think that one can still be business, professional, corporate, robust research and insights and still have an element of being able to connect with consumers by being conversational.
0: Mm, So,
1: you know, a few tweaks here or there, and I think it does depend on the format. So if it's, you know, looking through a user experience and an information architecture across a website, Um, that might lend itself more to some really, you know, playful, conversational language yes. that that's a lot more human and less robotic, yeah. uh, versus perhaps you know a more academic type paper and, and you know insights around that. But yeah, I think that I think that often people don't read their work out loud. I right. think people tend to write things and in their own mind it sounds. Great, sure. but when they actually read it out loud, sure. I think that's when you can really pinpoint some hot spots around this might lead a you know a bit a bit more finessing mm-hmm. a little bit more um, attention
0: mm, that's useful i'm I, I talk. Sometimes if I'm writing something, I'll talk to myself as I'm working, which can be a little distracting for, <laughs> for those around me. But You're I it's helpful to talk out loud. well, it is. Even to yourself. I find that very right. constructive. But I, I'm not sure that I do it when I'm reading something back that I've written. So yes. that's a th- thank you. That's a useful tip. Because
1: it also helps in terms of pacing the piece. Sure. Have you got a really strong headline to yeah. hook in someone? Or does it kind of meander about and end up in that by the end of reading the piece, even you're not quite sure as a reader, what, you know, I, I, I often find that with, you know, when I'm doing writing, like just making sure that, A, am I still interested in the end, yes. in, the, in the topic? Have I lost readers along the way? Um, and even at the end, towards the end of reading it out loud, you know, am I leaving people with a call to action or something practical? So really answering that question for the reader of what's in it for them? What's in it for me as a reader? Sure. I think is, is, is really critical versus what do I feel as a writer? I just want to impart all this information versus, again, is this making a good connection with the reader and, yeah. um, you know, am I going above and beyond to exceed their expectations? Sure,
0: which we would always or almost always like to do. Neil, let's change tact a little bit here. What advice would you give to your 10-year-old self? So we're not talking too many years ago here.
1: <laughs> Very kind of you, Casey. <laughs> so, I think gosh, what would advice would I give my 10-year-old self? I think the advice would be to keep on keep on reading, mm-hmm. keep on writing. Uh, keep on immersing yourself in, in the, that world of words, which I have always loved yes. since I was so little and young uh, in terms of books and writing. And I think I'd also say to myself that that there is a wonderful... Uh, business community of writers and there's a wonderful world of writing that 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 you can head into Mm -hmm. uh and and really um expand upon that and and that you'll get to work with some incredible people in being able to really bring to life stories and that and that there's there's so much out there across the world of words
0: that's delightful i like (laughs) it what might people not know about you
1: not know about me well um i've worked overseas quite a bit so i guess i can mention that i worked in london for over three years um which was again a a really fascinating oh. time you yes. know during the kind of heart of the financial crisis so the year before during and after uh-huh. which ah, is a really some interesting fascinating you know time yeah. to to kind of be you know in in that kind of heartbeat and center mm-hmm. of the world in yes. terms of time zones and everything yeah. um and then before that i've also worked in new york so um you know which is very dear to my heart so um you know have worked there as well and then, and then obviously i adore sydney and so i'm very fortunate to work there so and sunny
0: brisbane where we sit today. and sunny brisbane which we're looking <laughs> outside and it is a
1: Glorious, glorious uh, day here. Glorious so and sunny. It has been wonderful
0: compared to double—not di- uh, even double digits—and rain in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Shout out to <laughs> shout out to Brisbane. We love Brisbane. We do. Neil, would you say that you learn more from success or failure?
1: Definitely failure. I think that failure is so important, and I think that we live in a world where obviously success is great and. I think, I think not enough people talk about failure. Mm-hmm. And I think that failure to me is really critical because I think it means that you're trying. I think it means that you're pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. I think you're trying different ideas. And I think especially why I love failure is because I think that in writing... Often, sometimes it is trying a few things over and over again. Okay. So a first draft might not work, mm-hmm. and a second draft might not work. But I think that what I love about failure is that it's often heading hopefully in the right <laughs> direction. Hopefully, not hopefully. hopefully. Yeah. But I think I think that you know I've I've learned a lot. I think that I, um, throughout my writing career, um, have learned a lot from trying different techniques with writing different structures and so while it might not have worked on particular occasions I've learned a lot from that and I think just being able to uh, try again try a different tactic think of a different perspective think of a different point of view and I think that what I love about words is that words can take you anywhere Mm -hmm. so you can often go from, you know, something not working to creating something from nothing and really bringing to life a different world or a different topic or a different perspective.
0: It's interesting that think of a different perspective. It seems to be a theme that has come up a few times in our conversation, dealing with a few different questions.
1: Very true. I think, yeah, I think that perspective is so important and I think that it's, I think especially... Uh, because I love storytelling and both fiction and non-fiction, I think that that's what I love about writing. Mm-hmm. I think that, that whatever writing you're doing, whether it's business or creative, you are really immersing yourself in a different perspective. You're either seeing the world from someone else's point of view, from a character's point of view, mm-hmm. from a thought leader's point of view. Uh, and so I think, I, think that, I think that's a really interesting theme around perspective.
0: Absolutely. Neil, in the interest of storytelling, I I have a a fun, slightly lighter question with which to finish our conversation. If you, and I'm sure you'll paint us a glorious, colourful perspective here. If you could invite three guests for dinner and they don't need to be living, who would they be?
1: Gosh, well, I'm thinking as well of how the, the table would be. Decorated. I mean, I. I I think I'm thinking I'd want to make sure I impress (laughs) these three iconic people. So I imagine that you know we'd have you know a beautiful royal blue velvet table with you know three very distinct chairs, maybe one that kind of corresponds well, to each could of them. Well, be their...
0: at the table as well, so that would be okay, four Okay, so chairs. Four,
1: four chairs, <laughs> um, and if I had to think of people I invite, gosh, there's such a, I mean, a huge list, I don't want to invite so many people, but if I had to choose three, um, I'd probably choose three people from slightly different areas mm-hmm. and topics. Okay. So the first person I would have to have there would be Judy Garland. and i I think that i would just have to have her there because i'd have so many questions Mm -hmm. for her and you know her songwriting and her life and the wizard of oz Mm -hmm. and just that moment in time i think in history when it was just such an interesting you know time to be alive and um and just her whole life i think i'm just so fascinated by so um, I definitely um, have her, and you know, and, and if she wanted to bring Liza Minnelli along, <laughs> then then great. Um, You'd be okay th- with I'd, that. I'd, I, that yeah. would be perfect. We could, we, we can pull up an extra chair. <laughs> um, I think that in terms of a second person, I uh, look. I'd have to probably go to the world of writing and probably. Reloop back into what I said earlier around one of my favourite books which is To Kill a Mockingbird oh, so I'd Hupple's have to have Harper Lee Harper Lee's coming to dinner you know she sold over 30 oh. million copies of that book yeah. and really it was the only book she wrote for yeah. mo- you know for most. most of her life if we had this
0: conversation two years ago would, we would have been saying only book
1: the only yeah. book which I think yeah. is fascinating yeah. in and of itself yeah. you know yeah. an incredibly successful so writer and, you know, just, just such a moving mm-hmm. story. And, um, and so i just love to chat with her about, you know, how that entire book came about yes. and what was her writing process, what were her struggles, etc. cetera. Um, and then the third person I'd probably invite would be Oscar Wilde um so again you know such an an interesting playwright and i just think it would be i I just would love that dynamic in the room you've got judy you've got harper and you've got oscar and i just think you know i'd pour them each a glass of wine or whiskey or the drink of their choice and i think that we could have a whole podcast oh
0: yeah with you know absolutely with all of them so fabulous neil and i just adore the fact that storyteller to your core you started with the way that the table was set out not you didn't get right you didn't jump right into the people we haven't
1: mentioned the food that we'd have to bring oh well we'd have a lovely degustation oh fabulous i think yes but of
0: course you've thought about that neil this has been a delightful conversation thank you very much it's also been a really interesting insightful one i've taken some good notes and i have every confidence that our listeners will do likewise. I really appreciate your time today and all of your support over the last four years. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Katie. Appreciate it.
0: And thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, please review me on iTunes to help others find this great content. I have some excellent thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And I love feedback from listeners. You can find me at KTB Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett Stenton on LinkedIn.